every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This week's episode is the fourth installment of our special Uncuttable Budget Items miniseries. This miniseries was first introduced in December of 2020. For any new folks listening in, we ask every Demand Gen Visionaries guest about their top three most uncuttable budget items. And every 12 episodes, we release a compilation of the insightful answers we received. If you missed parts one, two, and three, you can find a link to each one in the show notes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review. Before we get into this week's episode, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at qualified.com. And now, please enjoy part four of our special Uncuttable Budget Items miniseries with your host, Ian Faison. Hey everyone, this is Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios and your host of Demand Gen Visionaries. It is that time again. It's uncuttable time. I can't believe this is part four of our uncuttable budget items where we take the uncuttables that all of our previous guests have said and compile them for you here today. If you haven't listened to the first previous three parts, you can go back and uh, and look at uncuttable budget items throughout the previous 50 episodes that we've put together for you. We continue to receive tons of positive feedback on these uncuttable budget items so that we could compile it all together for you and, and people seem to like it. So we'll continue doing this. This is part four. As everyone knows, these are interesting times. Many of our colleagues are, are moving fast, experimenting with new and exciting ways to use their budgets. So in this episode, you'll hear exactly that. If you listen to every episode of Demand Gen Visionaries, you have already heard all this stuff, but I find it's really helpful to go back through re-listen to the uncuttable budget items section just to figure out where people are putting their money and kind of, you know, match that with one CMO to another, one VP to another. As always, if you've been enjoying this show, we'd love to hear from you. You can always leave us a note, send us an email, team at caspianstudios.com. You can send me a note on Twitter, Addy and Faison, shoot me a note on LinkedIn, same thing, Addy and Faison. Really, we're here to help you. If there's an episode that you want to hear, if there's a guest, if there's a topic, Whatever it is, just feel free to drop us a line. Happy to help. And thanks, as always, to our close friends at Qualified for being the best partner ever. They're amazing. We've done 50 episodes so far, and there is no end in sight. We will keep these going forever and always. Thanks to Qualified. They're the best. If you haven't been to Qualified.com, check it out. If you want to see a recap of some of the other Uncuttable budget items, you can go to Qualified.com slash Uncuttable. And of course, thank you you for tuning into this show. We really couldn't do any of this without our amazing listeners. We really appreciate it. 50 episodes and 50,000 listeners. We love it. Thank you so much. Without further ado, part four of our most uncuttable budget items. Christelle Flau, Vice President of Marketing at Fortress IQ, 
The first one for me is content and creating good content. And that could be through an agency. It could be through a contract writer or actually having people on staff. I mean, I think the ultimate goal is to actually have people on staff that know your tone, uh, you know, know the voice of the company and, and can write for you. And, you know, writing that content is super important. And that's just a I have to have that person. <laughs> like, there has to be budget for someone to help me because one person can't write all the content. You know, you have to have multiple people do it. So that's the first one. I think analysts are the second uncuttable thing. And it's not just because of my experience here at Fortress AQ, but growing up in demand, gen, I never realized how important analysts were, right? Like I was on the receiving end of some gated asset that I had to go promote, right? <laughs> that's all I knew about analysts. But what I've realized is that the relationship that you have with the analysts, especially introducing you to accounts, right? So their customers, you know, being on their radar, always being in front of them, being a, a customer of some sort, you know, with all these analysts. I think that to me is uncuttable. Now, you would have asked me that question six, seven years ago. I would have, I would have not even brought up analysts. I would have said paid advertising and I would have said webinars, right? But I do think analysts are, are very important. And I think the last one for me is the ABM platform right now. You know, having the ability to go do this at scale, because that's what field marketing couldn't do back in the day, right? Like you had seven field marketing managers assigned to territories that were doing all this stuff manually. And I think things like Terminus and Sixth Sense and, and Demand Base now give you this platform to do this orchestration and do it at scale so it can be as effective as your traditional inbound stuff. So to me, that's something that, that I can't live without. Jamie Dominici, CMO of LogMeIn. I do think because of the nature of my work, digital is key. So that is the predominant investment in my budget. So SEO and SEM being key. And then, you know, all of our digital channels. So I just named like four things and you only asked me for three, but I wouldn't cut any. I, I try to never cut those. And I also try and never cut from a human capital, my investment in product marketing. I always go back to the message being a key driver and the tactics are what follow it. So I always try and invest in product marketing, message development, message testing, more on the people side, but those are probably my uncuttables. Susan Ganation, CMO of Granicus. One of the first things I did when I got to Granicus was rework the website. And I would say it was a bit of a mess because it was really product oriented. A new buyer may not know what products they want. They just know what use cases or problems they want to solve. And so I would say continual improvement over my web property, along with making it SEO enabled, is something I will never cut. I work with an agency out of North Carolina called Peak2. The head of that agency and I are tied at the hip where we hotline each other all the time, text message each other. So website and SEO enablement of that website, number one. Number two is account-based marketing. We're using a tool called Sixth Sense. And it's helping us to understand buying cycle. We're catching people real time as they're interacting with our digital environment and we're catching them while they're hot. And we kind of use Sixth Sense in combination with the tool 
called Qualified, which hey is now. where this is being hosted. That's right. <laughs> little little shout out to my buds at Qualified. Um, so we we would put those two together and say we absolutely have to have them. You know, one of the CMOs that I just think was a rock star was the former CMO at Domo. And she talked about how when you do have a hot lead, it has a half-life and you have to catch them while they're hot. And so that's been my objective as a CMO for a long time is to follow Heather's model and um, really focus on you know, the speed at which we're talking to these people, catching them while they're thinking of us. And the last thing I would not stop spending on is my BDR team. Uh, three years ago, when I started at Granicus, it was eight people. Now we're up to 35. And when you don't have a highly functioning BDR team, and I've talked to hundreds of CMOs about this, you might as well take your leads and throw them into a lead graveyard because salespeople don't have the diligence or the time often to follow up in the way a BDR team does, have a, a multi-touch cadence and the, the practice of continuing to go after those hot leads. And so I would say that the people spend that is probably 100% most important to me is that, is that BDR function. Dave Kellogg, principal at Dave Kellogg Consulting. So for enterprise software, right, which is where I live, I think of three things. One, digital, obviously, for, for all the reasons. And, and, and COVID only made digital even you know more uncuttable if that was possible. The next one would be webinars. I'm a big believer in education. Enterprise software, look, it's either going to be a PLG model, right? Product-led growth, where the product is the marketing and you're trying to get the product in people's hands so they try it and use it. That's great. Or it's going to be a more traditional approach, which is convince somebody that they need to they need to try this thing, all right? And, and to a certain extent, whether the trial is a formal sales-driven thing or an informal download thing, doesn't matter. But but I need to convince you, right? Because never forget that trying a product is a cost, right? It takes time to go get up and running and trying something. So either way, you're, you're asking me to invest. So I need to be convinced to make that investment. Yeah, that's where I think webinars come in. I'm a huge believer that every company should basically have a standing weekly live webinar. And that's where you tell your stump speech. And you can build derivations of it. You can build vertical versions. You can build product-focused versions. But in my opinion, you should be really good at telling your story that makes somebody want to take the next step, whether that next step is a download and trying the product or it's a conversation with a salesperson. I don't actually care. But, but I need to give you a reason to want to do that. So I think that tactic is super important. I'll call it the webinar in general or the weekly webinar, the weekly educational webinar. And you'd be surprised how many companies don't have it. And not only they don't have it, but if you said, show me the content you'd presented it, they don't have that either. And that's terrifying. So I'm like, so, so the other good reason to do one is that it forces you, like you don't have an official standard stump speech. Well, no, because we just did a launch. I've got a deck for this launch and I've got a deck for this. And right, I've got a deck for this campaign we did. But, but, but I have all these decks, but none of them are actually like, what's our stump speech? Our, our you know, Company name 101. Here's what we do. Here's why we do it. Here's what we do it for. Here are the benefits of doing it. Here are the alternatives. And here's why you should take the next step. And that sort of education is super important. The last tactic I'd say is uncuttable. And this one may be more of a surprise. But especially if you're selling anything where IT is involved, either because you're selling to IT or even if IT is an approval role, is analyst relations. And I think analyst relations is probably the most misunderstood, underinvested angst-generating 
department in all of marketing, and uh, it, it should be uncuttable, it, it, particularly in enterprise software. I don't care if you like it, you need to be good at analyst relations. So, so suck it up <laughs> and go get good at it because it has a massive, massive impact on your business. And by the way, IT is more involved than you might think because a lot of people might say, oh, I'm selling directly to an end user. At Host Analytics, we sold to, to VPs of financial planning and analysis. But a lot of them, right, a lot of them would have to go to IT to get approval. And by the way, in host position, because we were kind of uh, in the top three in the market, but not necessarily in number one or two, depending on what you're looking for, they would actually refer us into lots of deals because people would call up and say, hey, I'm looking at an plan to do sales planning and financial planning. And who else should I look at? And Gartner would be like, oh, take a look at host. Or I'm looking at adaptive insights to do you know, planning, financial planning for a small business. Who else should I look at? Host. So, so they can be a source of leads. They can blow your deals up when you're trying to get veto approval, basically, right? Hey, is it safe to do business with these guys? So I think analyst relations is, is both misunderstood and, and absolutely uncuttable. I literally had a CMO call me in the last week saying, I'm not sure I want to renew our Gartner thing. We have trouble working with them. I'm like, ooh, that's a, that's, if you're having trouble with Gartner, the, the stupidest thing you can do is, is not renew the contract. You want to renew that, and we want to build a, we want to build a plan for how we get better at working with them. Norman Guadagno, CMO of Acoustic. If every person on this show doesn't list the first one first or second, I'm always surprised, but uh, I know sometimes it's not true. I, I am, have been, will be, and continue to be, and the numbers prove it, uh, a believer in search. Like SEM works, and uh, no matter how you slice it, and, and by the way, I think you know this and, and everyone else does, right? SEM is a is not a one and done. It's uh, you have to water and trim the plants every single day because it really requires attention. You have to understand the market. You have to be thoughtful about what you're investing in, and you have to continue to iterate. But the world starts with search and smart placement with keywords and smart ads that convey actual information and bring somebody to a page that actually delivers value to them, works really well. So SEM's first at the top of the list. Uh, The second thing that I think we've seen a lot of interesting traction around and always surprises me at some level is uh, video. And it's not that I'm surprised. I love video. I think it's a great medium. And you can can tell a rich textured story in, in 15, 30 seconds. But you sort of step outside yourself as a B2B marketer and you think, oh, you know, B2C is dominated by video. And yet B2B is sort of dominated by video in some ways too. And video plays a really strong role in being able to capture people's attention and imagination quickly and then bring them back through into you know, complete a form or take another action on a, on a particular journey. Uh, and then the third thing that is less about where we're spending money on on demand, but I consider critical, particularly in B2B tech, is we build relationships with the analyst community so we get reports that put us in the right place. And having yourself land in a in a magic quadrant or at the forefront of a of a wave is actually a great way to have third party demonstration of your value as a solution. And it's a simple way for buyers. If you put your buyer hat on, 
there's so many sources of information that it's frankly kind of easy to say, I want to see what Gartner or Forrester or some other analyst firm said. And so we work to build strong relationships with the analyst community so that they understand what we're trying to do and where we're going with the product so that when they do their reports, we, we show the best we can. Alex Rosenblatt, CMO of Datadog. Number one, uh, events and trade shows, um, or specifically trade shows. It's been a little tough with, uh, you know, everybody on, on lockdown. But I mean, we, we have a, a great events playbook where, you know, we make it so that you want to see our product. And if you put us in, in a trade show that has a bunch of people that that product would appeal to, like they're going to want to see it. We, we've made that a point. That would be number one. Number two would be Google AdWords. You know, I can't think of a better way to build a floor of uh, demand gen for a sales team that once you've got your campaigns tweaked and you've, you've done a bunch of experiments and you consider them to be like really prod level, you can expect with some seasonality, basically the same results month after month after month for the same campaigns. And as you keep on adding campaigns, it becomes additive and kind of like the step function, you can keep on growing the floor of it. So that's a really important one. And, you know, getting a great demand gen person that knows Google AdWords like the back of their hand, I think that that should be an early hire for any uh, any marketing team that's doing B2B marketing. And I'd say third would probably be field marketing and any, any way to do custom bespoke events. What I think is really great, especially if you start to get uh, some sort of uh, fragmentation in the sales team, whether you split it by vertical or whether you split it by geo, or maybe you split it by both, or maybe you split it by, co- by company size. The ability to have a strong events team that can invent some kind of demand gen campaign out of thin air with some sort of compelling you know, reason for people to come it's, it's huge for filling in any gaps, especially during, uh, at least in, in B2B tech, we can have some pretty strong seasonality over the summer when everybody's on vacation and over the winter during the holidays. But it gives you like this almost magic wand ability when you're able to execute well in field events that can paper over any gaps that the seasonality or, or, or other kinds of like, you know, off times for other kinds of, of campaigns, uh, you know, that they present. Jay Lee, CMO of Avalara. Gosh, that's a tough one because really we like doing everything. But probably the most important thing for us is partner marketing. You know, as I said earlier, Avalara is a company that really manifests itself through partner software. So really what we want to do is we want to partner with all of those partners that we mentioned, over a thousand of them, and figure out how it is that we can help them market us as well as us market with them, you know, to prospects and so on. And there's a, there's a lot of different things that I think are happening. There are case studies that you need to do, testimonials you need to get, use cases that you want to explain uh, when you're combining our software with other software. So I think that's the top of the ladder is the partner marketing budget. Probably the next is our website. So I'm really proud of avalera.com. I'll, I'll tell you, it's, uh, we want it to be the go-to resource for tax compliance online. And the company did a fantastic thing that um, I think a lot of companies didn't perhaps keep up with. We have one of the most trafficked websites online for tax compliance information. A lot of it is all the tools and um, content that we have. The blog is really huge for us. So it's not like one of those old-time blogs where you're really telling everybody about what's happening inside the company. Uh, It's actually more like a newspaper. So if you want to know what's happening in the world of tax, what's changing in any industry, 
the fastest place you can find that out actually is at Avalara.com. Uh, click on the blog and you can see all the different kinds of articles of stuff that's there. So it's really critical that we maintain this. Uh, it's a fantastic SEO play for us because, you know, we're writing and creating so much content, it gets picked up really nicely in Google. Uh, and probably the last thing that no one would ever give up, I think, as a CMO would be uh, your digital spend. And certainly, you know, search engine marketing and, you know, it's social marketing and so on, uh, especially for us, you know, where we have to create awareness. People don't even know they need to be searching for us until they run into that. What's the right word for it? Um, I don't want to say any expletives here, but it's like the I made a mistake moment on my taxes, right? Like when you realize that that happened, then suddenly people come to our website. But really, ideally, you would figure out how to manage all this before that happens. And so um, as you're setting up your systems, you're setting up your website and so on, uh, it really is one of those things that you got to make sure you set up correctly before you even get started. Jim Sinai, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Procore Technologies. I'm pretty sacrosanct that as a marketing org, you got to be out buying buying the leads off of uh, review sites. I think if you got someone who's a hand raiser, who's they've gone to uh, Software Advice or G2 Crowd and they've researched your product, and they've clicked on that little form, you've got to not only grab that lead, but you got to flip it to the sales team pretty damn quickly. Website is one of the most strategic assets. Uh, anytime that I've regretted a budget allocation, it's usually I've underinvested in the, on things on the website. And, you know, it, just think about like your buyers are humans and they want a really delightful experience on the website. So whether that's integrating a chat bot, um, there's great tools for booking booking appointments. One of the things that I think is fantastic is when you don't have to talk to a salesperson to book a, a meeting with the salesperson. I Yes, I want to talk to sales and I want to talk to them either now via chat, I want to pick up the phone, or I want to set an appointment and actually have a, a proper appointment. You know, there's, I think, giving that shopper that, it, that channel is really important. And then I think the third tactic that I I think is just time and time again proven and the, the pandemic really nailed it was webinars. I think of webinars, you know, you can do the big fancy webinar where you're doing a thought leadership content or you're doing high production, but some of the most effective webinars are the one to many group demos where you're basically giving people a chance to come in, see your software in a safe space with other prospects, hear from a customer, ask some questions, but it's 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 kind of that low pressure sales environment. It's like going into a trade show and instead of going into the booth, you get to watch from the back of the from the back aisle and see the presentation without having to like dive right in. Josh Todd, CMO of MindBody. Over the last year, we actually got to experiment with what would you not cut? So when you think, you know, boutique fitness, spas, salons, right? These are high touch in-person businesses. Uh, you know, a, a group of sweaty people in a hot yoga studio was not the thing you wanted to be doing for the majority of 2020. And so, you know, our industry took a hard hit. And with that, we had to take a look at where are we spending money? What are we doing? And we did it aggressively out of the gate because we didn't know how bad it would be. Cut to the end, it was actually a lot better than we thought it was going to be, but still very difficult for our business and for our customers' business. So we went back, basically back to like a zero-based budget and we said, okay, what if you spend nothing? That's where we're going to start from. Now, what do you want to do? And like, you know, anybody's going to tell you that it's, you know, search is going to be like that first thing, because if there's demand out there, you better be capturing whatever that demand is. So that was clearly the, the first thing that we did was put that back in. The next one was content, because in this time, we needed our content and thought leadership to work really hard for us. And 
to feed our search, right? So search can operate to some degree effectively on its own, but it only really works if you're also feeding it. I like to think of, uh, you know, you're, you're fishing in a pond, right? Like, you know, sure, you can catch fish, um, but why not stock that pond with a ton of fish? Then fishing is going to be a lot easier. And because you put them in there, it's going to, you're going to have a, um, you know, an advantage on your ability to get them out. And the final one is, was our, our enterprise motion with a true account-based marketing once we actually figured out how to do it for real. And uh, the reason why that was so important for us, especially in this last year, was because the, the strategic businesses, they had enough cash to make it through the crisis. And during that time, they were evaluating what's best. For, are they running their business as effectively as possible? So we found that our ability to reach out to them was really effective. So it really went search was the first dollars out in the market. Content and I would say website are the next two because you know they're interconnected and they give us the ability to get all the great earned and owned coverage that we want to stock the pond. And then strategic accounts is a discrete motion, making sure we're in that timely conversation. And so that those would be the the three kind of tactical uh, things that we, I always wanted to go like, what if we did nothing, what would happen? Well, we, we know we had to do something because doing nothing did have a, a significant, um, you know, kind of depression on our, our demand gen. And as we ramped up, you could really see, I added this, here's what I got. So for me, it was, um, uh, of course, like not to, um, you know, say anything for how horrible the pandemic was, but just on the kind of, what can a marketer learn? There were amazing opportunities to learn about which marketing channels are most effective. Erica Chan, head of North America B2B brand and marketing at Alibaba. The first thing uh, that I would not cut is our daily resource and content series called B2B Today. B2B Today was created in early 2020 to give our customers and all small businesses access to insights, expertise, resources to help them continue to pivot to an online world and to figure out how to, to really not just survive, but thrive in this new normal. And so the series includes things like uh, weekly expert tips, fireside chats. We feature pivot stories of how small businesses have overcome challenges and continue to thrive. We have webinars about particular topics, right? Everything from how do you reopen your uh, facility safely after COVID to like earlier on, how do you apply for and get PPP loans? We also have a Transformer Talk series where we host these conversations between my boss, John Kaplan, the president of Alibaba.com and industry luminaries to talk about trends facing small businesses in America. And so I would say that's the first uh, thing we would not cut because it has been a tremendous resource. And also it's been great in order for us to build that community and build that trust with our audiences. I would say the second thing that we would not cut is online trade shows. So as we mentioned, one of the biggest or most important demand gen avenues for B2B businesses were trade shows, in-person trade shows. With COVID, that could not happen anymore. And so how do we continue to make sure that small businesses have that forum to meet one another, to access thought leadership, to share sort of ideas and, and to build that community. And so with COVID, we have migrated trade shows to an online platform. And so we're basically hosting these virtual live events 
designed to drive more commerce to small businesses, to drive to build community among small businesses in this sort of very critical and unusual times. And we actually just had one um, last week that ran on until June 27th, where it was our our online trade show summer, where we were uh, focused on 10 different industry verticals to have buyers and sellers from around the world sort of meet and do business with one another. And I think the last thing that I think has been important for us as we continue to grow and build our presence uh, in the U.S. is our customer success team here on the ground. I think at the end of the day, B2B is a very human business. And what we found is that having an on-the-ground customer success team to pick up the phone, meet face-to-face with our customers when we could, to help them through this digital journey has been tremendous. I think from for us, it's a goldmine for customer insights. And I think for our customers, it's also reassuring, right, to know that we're not just a technology platform, that there are actually people who care, who can help them, who can answer their questions when they have one right here in the U.S. Sydney Sloan, CMO of SalesLoft. Advertising, uncuttable. And I'm talking PPC, LinkedIn, it's proven. And we run a really good program. It's nice and tight. Our second uncuttable would be our webinar program. And I I put our summits into that. So these are all of the sales loft produced events. It's great for customers and prospects. The ROI is huge. And as we've added more and more capabilities to our platform, so everybody knows this for cadencing, but then we built a conversations tool, kind of like Gong and Chorus. And then we also have a deals um, application for forecasting. And so being able to communicate back to those customers about new products like is really important. And we know that when we see our customers engaging in our programs, their likelihood to renew is is higher and their likelihood to upsell is higher. And I think anybody and everybody in SaaS knows like you have to continue to work really hard to maintain a customer, especially in a in a competitive marketplace. And, and so having those programs where customers can come and learn and what we're up to learn from others is important. So webinars, second one. Third uncuttable. Third uncuttable is our sponsorships. We sponsor a lot of third-party communities, um, John Barrows, Sales Confidence, um, Wise, Women in Revenue, Modern Sales Pros. First of all, the relationships are really important. These communities are doing great work on educating customers out there. And so we want to support them so they stay out there and they continue to educate because we're just technology. It's really how you use the technology that matters. And so that the sponsors, the sponsorships that where we are helping underwrite and fund these groups that are doing really good work. And yeah, we get, you know, we get great leads from it. Um, but I think it's more about us wanting to be supportive of the community. And so that's, that's the third one. Brian Carden, CMO of InVision. I'll give you a few tips in my playbook about what is uncuttable, but I'll give you a sort of a high level conversation. One is I have a group of CMOs that I talk to fairly frequently about what's working, what isn't. And so I talk to vendors, but I love to talk to some great CMOs who are really friends of mine for a long time. So I would encourage a lot of your audience to find peers, people that don't compete directly with you, but you can share a lot of things. And a few of my friends who are CMOs, they're early adopters of technology. 
And I always say, how's it going with that new thing? And they say, oh, terribly or great, or you got to try this. And so you could really move very quickly if you get some vetting from some people you really trust. And so that's one of the things I, I like to do in my playbook. Um, the other one in my playbook that I think is really important, and everybody talks about testing, but we bake in testing to everything we do because I can't assume that I know what's going to work. I've got a CEO who tells me, Brian, I'm telling you, these words will work. And I say, Clark, we will try that, but we're going to try three other things as well. And I'd love to come back to him and say, this is how it performed and how it didn't perform. Everyone's got ideas, um, but I want to be the place where we can test the ideas. The other uh, part of the playbook is to go slow, to go fast. So I see a lot of people going really fast, but if you don't have the foundation of analytics, you're really flying blind. And so marketers jump into a new job and they want to really show value right away. But if you don't have a good foundation of understanding what's working and what isn't, you don't have a really good marketing automation platform that's configured the right way and the right MarTech stack and the right data stack, you're really, it's going to slow you down later. It's like engineers who have technical debt. Like you can never develop new product if the foundation is cracked. You just can't build up. And so for a marketing organization, you got to go slow to go fast. I inherited in my company HubSpot, which is really good. Uh, for a delicatessen or a barbershop, you know, and I remember, you know, we have a 10 million database and I remember calling HubSpot and saying, uh, Hey guys, you know, we may not be renewing. And they said, you know, Brian, we were waiting for the call. I said, why? He says, well, you're our second biggest customer. He says you have 10 million in your database. I said, who's your biggest customer? And they said, we are because we can't use anything else. We have to use HubSpot. So, and then I said, who's your third biggest customer? And they said, it falls way off. <laughs> like no one's even close. And so it was just legacy. So I love HubSpot and the team over there, but it just doesn't scale, doesn't have the granularity, the things you need, like uh, Marketo, Eloqua, Pardot, that sort of generation of, of tools. So just a few thoughts about sort of plays that matter to me. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.